Welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast. Join Will, Mark and Andy, as they talk about a random selection of movies and albums and then assign an arbitrary numerical rating to them. Ooh, compelling stuff. My name is Will Holden, and today I am joined by the amazing Andy Malburn. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks, man. And the mercurial Mark Wall. How are you, sir? I'm good, mate. Excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, today we're to talk about your picks, Mark. Um, as ever, we will start with the screen. Uh, and your pick for that was The Trial, directed by Orson Welles, um, Adapted by Orson Welles from a novel by Franz Kafka, starring Anthony Perkins, uh, Jean Moreau, Romy Schneider, Akin Tamaroff, and surprisingly, Orson Welles doesn't make the top cast on IMDb, despite being quite a central figure. Uh, I'm going to give you the pitch directly from IMDb, because, I mean, this film is, for starters, pretty hard to describe. I don't think they do a very good job, and I find that more amusing than the other. Uh, An unassuming office worker is arrested and stands trial, but he is never made aware of his charges. Quite honestly, I can't remember a single offence that could be charged against me. But the real question is, who accuses me? circles I move in, all sorts of different cases naturally come up for discussion and the more interesting ones stick in my mind. It'd be kind of a nice re- revenge to take you away from both of them. Why not? And some night after the magistrate, after he's been staying up late, filling out those long, lying reports about me, he'd come to your bed and find it empty. Mark, had you had you seen this before, or is this uh, a first time for you? I forget. It was a first time. I thought I might have seen it, but I definitely hadn't. I think you'd remember it. Well, yeah, which says something. That definitely says something. And I, I will just start right at the end, by the way, because uh, I was loving the fact that he just read out the credits instead of... Uh, <laughs> it was one of the coolest sign-offs in, in all of cinema. At the end, when he yeah. just said, what was his character? <laughs> yes, I play the advocate. I wrote and directed this film. My name <laughs> is Orson Welles. And that's the very end of the film. It's incredible. Just stand up and clap, if nothing else, just for that. <laughs> it is great. Yeah, great, great choice. It just sort of shows his the, the slight kind of pompous artness to Orson Welles that, when taken, I think, kind of glibly, is incredibly fun. Yeah. No, indeed. It's it's a funny one because this was the movie he made directly after A Touch of Evil, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic film, which I'd watched a few months back and was one of the reasons I wanted to do this one. And also, this is one of his few where apparently it was mostly untampered with by mm. studios or producers because despite kicking off with Citizen Kane, which is of course, now regarded as, you know, one of the greatest films ever made. Mm-hmm. Essentially, all of his other films were tampered with. And he was, in a way, an independent filmmaker, in a, in a sense, because he was just having to scrap together movies and make them over the course of several years, and loads of it is improvised and everything. But this this was one where supposedly it was more something that he was happy with the with the finished product. Well, according to my brief research, he absolutely loved it. He thought it was one of his best films. Yeah, 
which uh, I will open by saying I disagree with. Okay. Shots fired. Andy, <laughs> have you got any uh, opening opening gambit? I think I appreciated it more than I enjoyed it. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, I think it is an incredible piece of filmmaking. Like, I think all of the, like, set pieces are pretty incredible. Like, there's so many, like, cool shots in it. Um, yeah, I think it, like, visually looks superb. And I think there's some really good, like, performances in it as well. I didn't real. I didn't do any sort of like reading beforehand. I didn't realize that it was based on a like Kafka story, mm-hmm. um, and I could have, I could have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's very Kafka. <laughs> um, I could have guessed that. I've seen twenty minutes of the film. Um, yeah, I don't know if I was ever like fully caught up in the story, but mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed it in terms of like a filmmaking thing there's, think yeah there's so many bits i want to talk about about the way that it was made i guess so yeah. it's it's still going to score relatively highly but i don't think it's a, like i just i wasn't invested in kind of what actually happened during the film but that's kind of fine I, I enjoyed the journey of it i think i agree with all that in principle but the the aspect of the filmmaking and i think the sort of central um, performance of anthony perkins um i just i really enjoyed it and the Perkins is kind of fascinating. Like his character just flips completely. Like there's no there's no sort of central theme to his character. Just in certain scenes, like he's so his like assertive are... and like dominant. And then in other scenes, he's just like cowers away and is <laughs> yeah. like it just it's complete inconsistency across his character. But it kind of it doesn't feel like that feels very like purposeful. And yeah, I think it's a really good performance by him. Like it's it really shows a like a lot of kind of range, I guess. Mm. But it, that was sort of enough that I, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I think you're absolutely right about the plot. And I think that's the, my main criticism, uh, if there is one, is I think it lulls in the middle. I mean, as the, as the brief blurb alludes to, he kind of wakes up in his bed and police are in his room and they arrest him for something. And he goes to trial for sort of something. And the whole, the whole thing is, is a mystery. Um, nobody ever tells him what he's done. And I think the, the lull comes in the sort of middle of the film because that, that question never evolves. It never, there's no twist. It never changes. Like that is the, the central question through, throughout. But I think the opening sort of scenes in the sort of guest house apartment just so like surreal, so um, so weird, but everybody in it plays it completely straight. As you say, like Anthony Perkins' character, uh, who was called Joseph K, reacts randomly, well, just differently to different situations in front of different people, but also takes the most absurd things in like completely in his stride. And I just, I, I, really enjoyed that like vibe and then the end when Orson Welles is in it much more just hamming it to the nines um yeah I, I, I got quite a bit from this yeah I, I pretty much agree with with both of you particularly though I think the first 45 minutes to an hour was was really great um but you're spot on in, in the middle. And funnily enough, it's where Wells first comes into it. I think all the stretch in that kind of building, just a couple of, basically the characters who appear throughout became increasingly less interesting to me, I think. Some of them felt almost like there's a, a character, Lenny, who becomes a sort of semi-love interest. But then you get Hilda later on, who feels a bit like a, just a sort of carbon copy in a slightly different situation. Yeah, and I wasn't completely sure how to read any of the female characters at all, really, or indeed how he is with them. I think this is the thing with it. And when I said at the start, like, you know, I I disagree, it's his 
best film or whatever that's simply because there's two or three others which which i prefer i still think this is very interesting but i think the whole point of it is it's obviously massively all open to interpretation and presumably supposed to provoke thoughts within you as the viewer and i think in truth i i was intrigued for the first half of it but increasingly i just lost interest in thinking about what it was actually about and i just kind of wanted more actual plot or for it to tell me a little bit more about what it was actually about yeah it's just a little bit too smart for me i don't think it's pretentious um but no i mean from from wells point of view like he had the kafka book interestingly i've done the research i'm gonna tell you um it was a sort of posthumous release for kafka and the uh orson wells reordered the sort of chapters to tell his story but the chapters were ordered by his, by kafka's estate so there's no no way of knowing what order it should have been in as i understand that that's right. pretty much all of kafka's work isn't it like almost nothing was released during his lifetime because he used oh, to just, right? he used to just destroy anything that he wrote <laughs> so like almost nothing was ever finished almost everything that you read from kafka has been put together like after his death posthumously yeah interesting did did either of you have a kind of reading of it at all? Oh no, I won't pretend to know like what it's going for. There are a few kind of elements of it because it like parts of the film reminded me of Brazil, and therefore hundred percent, kind of, yeah. There's that idea of like the absurdity of bureaucracy and mm-hmm. hierarchy, and that authority is to be obeyed simply because I got a lot of those themes. But due to the the this core message never really seeming to evolve. Like it doesn't, it doesn't tackle that question in any more interesting ways. I think that's. Yeah. I just, I agree. And I I feel like there probably is more to it than that. I just couldn't extract it. I I didn't really think about it, to be honest. Like I just, it's just kind of dystopian world where like nothing is above the law and like bureaucracy and red tape is, Kind of. I felt due to the little, um, I can't think what it's called, like the little um, allegory story at the beginning that Orson Welles reads. Yeah, over which the, was great. The kind of animation, because that, that appeared at the beginning and the end, made me think that there was a, a deeper message or an attempt to tell a, something a bit more meaningful here that I didn't get. They referred to that as the law, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Like, which I thought was interesting as opposed to any kind of religious aspect. It was... It's, I don't know if it was part of the book, but it is something else that Kafka wrote as well. That parable. That's what I was looking for. Parable. But yeah, I certainly won't pretend to say, like, I got a, a meaningful thing from it. There's a point I thought there might have been an um, accidental sort of um, women's lib aspect to it. As the... Um, the first sort of female character he interacts with, his housemate, Mrs. Bursner, yeah. is the most sort of independent and uh, sort of non-supplicant to a man, female character that you meet, and everybody hates her for it. Yeah. And I think that has, I don't, I don't think it was something done on purpose, but all the other female characters are completely subservient to the men around them, and people sort of adore them for it, and I think whether he meant to or not, there's there's perhaps a sort of message in that. But as an overarching thing, no, not really. Yeah. And I guess it then becomes a question, and Andy, you started to sort of say this before, is it like, does that even matter if you're getting enough from it without really understanding it? Yeah. I, I sort of enjoyed the journey enough that um, it didn't matter that much to me. But I think it's still reasonable criticism. I think it's it's kind of its themes are fairly obvious, so I don't I don't know if you need to piece together. Like I said, I didn't really come away. I agree with you, Mark. It is the sort of thing where I think if you really, if you thought it was a ten out of ten film, it's probably because you're coming away from it, spending a lot of time. Like it stays with you. You're really thinking about what the kind of plot actually means and things like that. And I think like you can still enjoy the film a lot without that. And that was. Kind of what I did, so like at no point did I really 
try and think too much into it. It just didn't sort of grab me in that way. But the Brazil's a sort of decent comparison as well, I think. Like the sort of yeah, dystopian world and sort of um, similar thing. It, despite yeah. the a lot of the cast, well, being very kind of multinational, really, it had a sort of British brutalism to it. It felt like quite a a British film in that in, in the setting and the and the look about everything. I think where it really succeeds, though, and you mentioned it at the beginning, Andy, was um, like the the camera work, the the choice of setting, like the purposefully unsettling. The sets are incredible. Like, there's so many, so many incredible sets in it. It's like uh, sort of throughout, and just weirdness thrown in there as well. Like the way that things are laid out. I love that the geography of it, just how it all sort of intertwines, but. It's it's yeah, really it, quite amazing. It has sort of impossible um, geometry to it. Like he will mm, walk yeah. out of one door straight back in. There's a bit at the end where he's in a, he's in like an artist hut, steps yep. out of his back door straight into the, like the, the courts. Yep. Um, I think sometimes as well, there's a conversation he has. He goes to the opera and at no point does the camera ever show any of the actual opera, which I think already just feels somehow unsettling, that something's going on behind your viewpoint. And then he gets taken to, like, a warehouse where he's told that he's, I don't know, being investigated or whatever. Yep. And then it flicks a scene, like, as he's walking away. It looks like he's walking in front of, like, a stone manor house. And just that the, there's no, like sense of place nothing runs into each other and it just keeps you disorientated i think all the time everything's kind of vast as well like Mm. the scene where um the other woman is like leaving the apartment and it's just in this like open wasteland and she's just like dragging that suitcase it's just it's like a single shot as well there isn't really a like you sort of you get a sort of vast openness of the world through very little like it's just it's just it's superb, like setting and like camera work, and then every time you're sort of inside any sort of place, it's all everything sort of seems giant. You'll have like bookcases on the wall that just seem to stretch for forever, and like the world sort of dominates the like people in it. Like there's just a sort of hugeness to everything. Like just disorientating is kind of right. Like it's just the the oddities kind of really engross you into the world i guess yeah i don't i think it, ha- it has a lot of characteristics with horror films i think like it, it's not a right, for it's sure not a, it's not a horror story but the kind of atmosphere it creates is so unnerving a lot of the time yeah the, there's loads of scenes that almost play straight horror really aren't there as well with like the kids in the artist's room and <laughs> um, yeah the kind of third man uh, running through the tunnel and everything. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a hell of an atmosphere. It, it, I completely agree. He is, he's like incredible really with what he was doing. And I, I don't think it was like a, you know, a big budget production. As I said, it was all kind of, I think basically they were supposed to be filming it somewhere and the budget ran out. They couldn't do it. And so they just found some disused uh, railway station or something like that. It looked, yeah. And it just seems, it just shows what you can do with just a bit of an imagination and creativity. Because as you say, I mean, half, half the sets, I mean, it is just basically they just piled up tons and tons of books and just made these really interesting environments for it to work in. And just the way it's shot gives it re- a really unique feel. Yeah, I, I still wish that I had a little bit more of an emotional connection or, or payoff to it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, there's 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 aspects of the kind of filmmaking that I think are incredible, but I can't... I'm not going to score it a 10 out of 10 because there's no, like, emotional investment for me in it, mm-hmm. apart from kind of a... The only emotion I felt was a kind of general unease across the, like, whole yeah. thing. Um it's got no narrative, really, has it? But um, could either of you see Anthony Perkins, Andrew Garfield? Yeah. 
Now you've yeah. said it. Modern day remake, I could totally see Andrew Garfield in the role for this. Yeah, I guess only because we saw what's it called? Under the Silver Lake. Under the Silver Lake. A... Yeah, which is is sort of a no, it's it's nowhere near vaguely similar, but it, it gives off the same sort of vibes in certain parts that I can kind of kind of see what you mean. Yeah. Um I found the the music sort of serviceable towards the atmosphere not entirely kind of memorable as, as music on its own but it was pretty varied like the, i remember a, a sort of mm. quite mad jazz piano bit when the kind of chaos picked up there's much more like cinematic big strings as well i think it all worked towards the atmosphere but i said i didn't i didn't walk away thinking it had like a, a superb soundtrack I did try and read up on it, and I think the one thing I read is that he wasn't particularly happy with with the score. Right. And um, I got the sense, and I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like certainly two or three of the pieces are just, you know, things that he has inserted in there which pre-existed rather than sure. originally composed. But I agree, it was it was serviceable rather than, you know, anything else. Mm-hmm. Another of my uh, favourite scenes was um, the first time, I mean, any of the scenes really where you see like his place of work, but it's just a, it's such a, it's such a bizarre space. It is just, I suppose you would kind of describe it as an office, but it's basically like monkeys at typewriters. Yes, like a hangar for an airline, just yeah. row after row of desks, all with typewriters. But then when he goes to meet, is it his cousin who's, like, come to visit him? His young cousin, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and you've kind of got, like, appears to be behind this kind of glass door, just kind of banging on it, like, at the, like, side of the, the, like, the massive, (laughs) massive room filled with just people typing. it's, It's such a visually weird scene. And then... Like later on as well, when the day just kind of ends and literally everybody just like on the beat just stops <laughs> and leaves. I really like that because he's in the middle of using it as an excuse to not talk to his uncle. Yeah. It's like, I'm here for office hours. And as soon as he says it, everybody just gets up and clears out. Yeah, it's of course like, why well, it looks like the day's finished. <laughs> There's something about like complete unity of a load of people that's just like spine tinglingly. I don't want to keep saying unnerving, but. It's the right word for the right situation. Yeah. Yeah, the um I suppose what would what would be called the court scene as well, which was also very interestingly staged. Um but that that whole scene and several of them, to be honest, really had a vibe of like the finale of the prisoner as well. Yeah. Quite yeah. in advance yeah. of that. Um yeah, I, I mean, it, it does feel hugely ahead of its time. I mean, Lynch is the other obvious kind of mm-hmm. guy to mention. but Well, I think it polarised critics at the time and has had a sort of more positive reception on like, more, you know, more modern critics. Um, but I, I can see why, like in 19, what was it, 1962? Yeah. This would have come out as quite... quite um, quite out of left wing yeah i would i would have thought so definitely (laughs) um but it's it's one that i I almost considered doing it because it was about a week and a half two weeks ago that i watched it and i'd happily re-watch it and i think i might even prefer it on a rewatch potentially Mm -hmm. i'd have absolutely no problem re-watching this like i said i really enjoyed just the 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 feel of it all like you mentioned it was fast and i think that's it's like fast dialogue and it clips from one thing to the next it felt a little bit like um do you remember hourglass sanatorium is that what it was called yes which was essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. a film that was a dream and hourglass sanatorium i think goes further with that concept but i felt that idea of Things were dreamlike. You'd sort of turn into a room and, and meet a person and they'd have a conversation as if they knew each other and then that character would never appear again and the conversation would often mean nothing. I mean, there's a point yeah, where... I, 
the two officers that arrest him uh, in his office being like whipped. It's bizarre, isn't it? There's, because there's like he, a... <laughs> because yeah. he said he might file an official complaint. It, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't come back. It doesn't, I don't know. It was, <laughs> that, that felt most dreamlike to me. Yeah, no, you're spot on with the hourglass sanatorium comparison, 100%. But I dug it. I liked it. All right. Move to scores. Anybody want to dip in first? I'll go All first. Right, I'll do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Flip a three-sided coin. Andy, you go first. Uh, I'll give it an eight. I pretty much said it. Like I think it, it could have scored higher if I'd been more invested in the plot, but I think like bits of the kind of staging of it are superb. The atmosphere of the film is great. Um some really great performances in it. We didn't even talk about Orson Welles' performance, which I think is uh yeah, particularly at the end is superb. Like I kind of agree with you in the middle, like he kind of comes into the film as the film has a little dip anyway but um but yeah bits of it are superb i'll definitely rewatch it as well at some point uh eight out of ten yeah um i mean interestingly i feel i've come in on a more positive slant if only slightly but eight out of ten is exactly the figure i've got in my head as well figure it's not really right number um i really enjoyed this but you're right it has no kind of narrative um it does lull in the middle a little bit but the the atmosphere, the performances really carried it for me. Um, I wish we had talked a little bit more about Orson Welles' performance, particularly at the end, because it really, I couldn't like wipe the smile off my face when he'd say things like, I'm up from my sickbed. <laughs> <laughs> As if he's doing him like this huge favour. And I, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. But eight out of 10, same. Am I only going to go seven? I just think I struggled with it a little bit more than you guys. I did still enjoy it and I really appreciated the way it was made, but yeah, there was, there was, it wasn't just that it slowed down. There was actually like kind of minutes worth of dialogue exchanges, which I just simply didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, <laughs> which in the first half I was more or less with it and, you know, understanding what they were saying but it just got to the point where it just it it takes you into a labyrinth and i just got a bit lost in the labyrinth frankly but it's uh i, I just I, I didn't i don't think i ever tried i think i ever tried to really follow follow through like from pretty early on i think i was kind of hooked into the like the journey of the film in terms of like how it looked and how it was shot and everything else and yeah i got, I got completely lost in the labyrinth of a plot as well if there is one (laughs) genuinely meaningless and i never i I never i never tried (laughs) there seemed to be something coming up when he he almost rose up against this whole law but Mm -hmm. it it sort of comes to nothing but yeah um good i think that's uh, all solid excellent really good pick like i i yeah i don't don't know that i ever would have uh Ever would have watched it. It makes me want to. I've seen a little bit of Orson Welles films before. It makes me want to watch more. Yeah, interestingly, I, I watched Citizen Kane only once and didn't didn't really love it. So this thing probably inspired me to go back and. and yeah, I, think I know it's an all time classic and everything, but Kane is ripe for a re- rewatch. I mean, everyone says that the more you watch it, the the better it gets, and. I've only watched it once as well, and there was similar. Like I thought it was good, but didn't really understand the the big deal. But then even watching the first five minutes with a commentary, which I rarely do, and they were just pointing out all these things, I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, that 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 is incredible! How did I not see it?" But um, yeah, I would also throw out. I mean, I mentioned the touch of evil. That is essential. I would say it's just a fantastic like film noir. And um, there's another one called Lady from Shanghai, which is also a film noir, which is also, I think, very underrated and very interesting. Essentially, all his movies are just visually very, very compelling. Yeah, 
that's his, that's his shtick, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's inspired me to go back and uh, at least get my fingers in a few more awesome Wellses. Alrighty, so we've moved to the needle portion of our, of our intrepid show. And thank you, Marco, for picking this. I should mention, first of all, this was a, um, a change from what was announced at the last podcast, so it's not that album. This is Umanoita Romantica Com Jao Borsch by Jao Borsch. Bravo. That was That's beautiful. Un- undoubtedly butchered, <laughs> but I think I did it with enough panache that it, it sounded it sounded good. That's, that sounded like the cover, mate, which was a, a lovely thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's 11 songs long, and it is a brisk 32 minutes and 39 seconds long. how you came across this one Marco well there is a story to this which I've told before but I'll tell it again quickly so last year around about this kind of time I was in Madeira and in a hire car one day my brother was just playing a local radio station and there was a Foo Fighters song and there was a Tina Turner song which straight away, by the way, I don't know what's going on with Madeira and radio, but fair play to them. (laughs) (laughs) Sandwiched sandwiched in between the two was a song by Jao Borsch. And um, it was one where I was just immediately just like, and everyone in the car was, to be fair, just like, oh, what what is this? This this is cool. And someone taught me how to, you know, do that thing on google where it listens to the song and tells you what it is so i found out i found it on spotify and just had this experience of just playing the album sat by a pool at night with a few beers and only sort of half listening but there were several points throughout the album where it was just like everyone just stopped and was like what what was that (laughs) like and um Yeah, so it kind of stuck with me. And yeah, I mean, look, I think we're probably the only people in this country, really, who've who've listened to this album. You know, it's a sure very... Portuguese people living here that are probably yeah, huge no, Jao Borsch fans. Well, I mean, I've got the album up on Spotify right now and the, the song with the most plays has got like 56,000 so mm. it's, it's, it's not, not doing bad then yeah it's it's not yeah but like the third track admittedly is one of the interludes but it's got like 9,000 listens like it's not no yeah. it's, it's it's not huge and the, and the point is it's it's not something that I would have ever come across I don't think in my entire life unless right. that moment yeah. had occurred um so yeah that that was that was how it came about and um I've continued to go back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, for one, I did enjoy this album. Um, I think it fits in a little niche of like quirky pop that I that I enjoy. I don't think it's wildly original. Like it pulls from a lot of different places, and in almost every song, I kind of had a, an immediate reference to like, oh, that sounds a bit like this. I also think it sort of steadily drops off as an album i think the opening sort of two or three tracks are real solid i think the middle ones are like pretty decent and then i think there's a couple at the end which i could sort of do without um apart from bam at the end uh, bem sorry at the very end which i think is kind of rad for a, a minute and a half song 
but overall, like I, I like the shtick of this album. I like Jao Borsch. I like I was sort of fascinated to see this album come out in 2021. I could imagine this of coming out in 93. Like it, it had a sort of jellyfish vibe to it, and I could see it being uh, just much older than it is. I think it's kind of cool that somebody's making this music now. Yeah. Nice. I think I said to you in the pub about 10 days ago, maybe, that I'd listened to it a couple of times and I felt like I could just talk about it straight away. I didn't think my opinion would change. It's not like massively, but the first couple of listens, I was just like, like it's it's sort of funny enough. It goes through like, it's all over the place in terms of the first track sounds like it's a proper like McCartney musical thing. There's bits of it that sound like it's like wham it's got some like real doo-wop choruses in there like barbara's a mad track it's like got this kind of um like fairly heavy like stabby chorus and then this like big uh, sorry verse and then this big like doo-wop chorus it's, <laughs> it's, i thought like it's very inoffensive but not <laughs> not a bit i love and then oh no I listened to it again the last couple of days, having not listened to it at all in between. And um, particularly the like, the real power pop, the real, like, yeah, the ones that I'm describing as sounding like wham, but in Portuguese, <laughs> really kind of grew on me. <laughs> also, I don't, I'm not, I don't really agree with you on the ordering either, Will. Like, I actually, there's some, right at the end, the last two tracks, I think, are... Uh, uh, Super Ego 2000 is uh, is I think the album at its most power poppy. Um, yeah, and I I dug it. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's so on board. It's but like it's, it's, it's dumb. It's it's real dumb in bits. It, it's sort of ABBA disco that one. I think I just yeah. don't like the I don't like the inspiration it's drawn from, and it that and <laughs> that and Madrigada, the song before it. I'm gonna give like song numbers all the time and the seventh song sorte amina are kind of the other real weak spots for me oh but that that guitar solo though man actually the the guitar solo is pretty awesome but i basically listening to that song my mind utterly wanders until that guitar solo kicks in and then i'm back on board 100 percent sorte amina i just had i had to listen to it to remind myself which one it is that song sounds like it's like someone's just won pop idol and that's the first yeah. single it's like, an otherwise that, incredibly like straightforward that is such a ballad. bland pop song <laughs> agreed you could illuminate em tuas chardas me reparte ouro de 16 quilates Em prata e marfim Aceito a dor e o defeito Mato esta falta de peito Para te merecer O amor é mais que o teu leito Nele está You're right. The solo at the end is kind of like this sax solo in China in your hands from Tapao. Like it's it's really powerful. It is. But yeah, it, is. It, it has to pull me back because that song is otherwise quite boring. But the first two, I mean, I'm not I'm not really counting the interludes. Um, what's what were kind of harmless little things in the album just became sort of slight annoyances. Where I had to keep skipping them. Um, as you mentioned, Barbara, the fourth track. I assume it's just Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> not, it is, not with a, it is not with a Portuguese slant. Um, and then like the next two, is it the, well, I'm going to guess it's probably the emancipation of Jao Borsch and Boca Chia. I like the verses of both of those songs and then I found the choruses kind of rubbish, but I still like, right. I kind of dig the songs overall. Boca Chia is one of my favourite songs of all time. Genuinely, I absolutely adore it. I think the chorus is incredible. Oh, 
I love the album, like just without reservation. I embrace the cheesiness. I embrace the craziness. But I, I 100% get it as like a holiday vibe thing. Like, like it just well, kind of absolutely, like perfectly kind of encapsulating the like the sort of moment and the. Of, of course. And that, that that was where it was born of, obviously. But you come but home and you have thing that. Is, yeah, you come home and you have that sort of attachment, though. Still, like that doesn't disappear. That just sort of takes you back to that place, right? Yeah, but there's there's an argument where like almost anything you can listen to whilst on holiday will, you know, rain positive with you. But it, it's it's slightly more than that for me. I genuinely think it's just a fantastic pop album. It's got everything I want from that kind of music. I think it's really dense and interesting. I think the production is great. I love all the changes. I agree with you, Will, when you say, you know, you can hear the influences on each track. But, I mean, to be fair, how rare is it to actually hear something that is truly unique these days? And at least he's drawing from different wells constantly many times within the same song. And it doesn't stop all the arrangements and melodies and stuff being, to my mind really interesting um it's not it, it's not really a criticism like the last album i bought the um the louis cole one is is similar in that that it he wears the influences on his sleeve it's not that's not really a problem for me um i think like the, the ones that i like are the ones that draw influence from things i sort of already like and that you know that helps um you've got ones like is it barbara Barbara's the doo-wop one, isn't it? It almost sounds like um, like Rock Me Amadeus at some points. And uh, I mean, I, I feel like certainly in that song and and in a couple of others, I think he's he's taking inspiration from the same places as Mike Patton. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. for sure. There's definitely a um, that sort of move from heavy rock into doo-wop has got a. Um, Mr. Bungle sort of signature. It does, but it's, it's obviously more broadly pop and there's obviously far more of a dance influence as well, which is definitely not a genre I'm a fan of. But I agree, the uh, the super ego one, um, I just think is pretty great, despite the fact that it's essentially synth pop. Yeah, it is synth pop, um, but it's just it's just fun, isn't it? Like it's it, just, it is fun. It's like the, more, the more I listen to it, the more it kind of grew on me. I agree with you well on the last one as well. I get sort of similar vibe from that as well. Where yeah, yeah it's dig- just it's just it's a fun bouncy track. like a huge send-off to the album where he just screams bam and then ends on yeah. like a super heavy metal chord for <laughs> scream. It's... not not been represented anywhere else in the album i really like that as well that it has like the real classic like do what finish and then has that chord like afterwards mm-hmm. it's a nice touch just to throw in one more little bit of inspiration in there yeah yeah i like i like the so i like the very end i just 
probably sort of, you know, take the interludes out seven to ten. Um, I'm not just not so fussed about, so it kind of drops off for me that the back end of the album. I quite like Mag- Mad- Madrid Dada, Madrid Garda, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> like, just... like funnily enough, that, that that kind of seemed to me like it almost could have been on that Louis Cole record. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. uh, it's just an upbeat, you know, dance pop song. That's definitely the wham, um, the wham I like. I think, yeah, Madrigada. But I think it's that the one thing this this album really has had for me is is that re-listenability mm-hmm. because there's so much going on and it's all so, to my mind, well put together with all these little flourishes everywhere and instrumentation. And like in that way, I put it in the same category as as early Mother Mother. I, I get the same kind of thing where they just don't get boring to me ever, which is pretty much the highest compliment I can pay to any music because I sure. get bored of music very quickly um, you know, I don't think it's perfect. I still, you know, ultimately the stuff I like is is more akin to the sort of guitar Beatlesy rock side of of things and the dance stuff less so. But even the interludes, like I like that idea. I mean, I agree they're not essential listens. I can understand why you'd skip them, but I kind of like the theme of just. I like the fact that he's just pieced together all these. 10 15 seconds of genre songs which he's clearly done himself (laughs) like like, you know there's like little drum and bass and like trance bits and there is like a full-on metal one that comes in and it is almost just like this guy just went away by himself and just just thought right i'm just going to create whatever the hell i want whatever the hell i feel like at this time and a lot of it was probably that's a bit shit but what I'll do is just cram them all together and shove them in on this little interlude thing. And why the hell not? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's fun. The whole thing is fun. And um, yeah, I, I think there's some seriously strong, like melodic hooks as well. Considering it's not obviously in English, makes it a little bit harder to judge. But I mean, I, I can pretty much sing along with half the album. And certainly it gets stuck in my head. I think there is a lot of catchy pop hooks in there. Definitely not going to disagree with you on that. I don't think there's a massive amount of inventiveness in the hooks. I think they go, I think the hooks, I think one of the reasons that they're so memorable is that they go in exactly the direction that you would expect them to go in. I The most obvious ones, I think, are the moments where it goes to like the do-op one thing that he does a couple of times, like in the last track and in, Barbara, I'm not sure if it's in anywhere else, but like they're they are a hundred percent what I would expect that to be. Like as soon as you hear the start of that chorus, you know where the rest of the chorus is going. And it's not no, it is a criticism, I guess. Like I've come in with a sort of quite positive, I found it really fun, but like the first couple of times I listened to it, that sort of lack of inventiveness through a lot of it. And like, it does show it in other ways. Like you're right. There is definitely like interesting, like instrumentation and like mad solos that come in and it like flits through genres all over the place. But I think the melodic writing isn't like particularly exciting. I think it's just good, catchy pop. Mm-hmm. And and to this to the same to the same extent that like like I say like a pop I don't know why I'm using pop idol I've been on TV for <laughs> X Factor <laughs> the same way that like an X Factor winners song is going to be sort of memorable and catchy like it's straight down the line pop yeah I don't know that I fully agree with that I I I don't know I. Sometimes if something goes where you expect, that's that's a good thing. I, I'm not treating that as a negative anyway, but I don't think they necessarily do. Like, again, the chorus to Boca Chea, I just think is a perfect pop chorus. I think it would be ruined if he'd gone to a slightly odder chord or jumped to a slightly odder note. I just think he's he's just nailed it in the same way that, you know, the Beatles or Bowie or whatever, like... 
do you know sometimes it is just do the obvious thing and he's he's rarely doing it in the context of the whole thing is obvious because he's generally coming from a completely different section anyway yeah agree uh, yeah agree with that yeah it's just a like well you said um you said abba as like mm-hmm. a uh like touchstone on like super ego and i'm not putting down abba like the reason that people love them and they've kind of stayed the test of time is because they're incredibly like pop choruses and like pop melodies but they're super memorable and like sing-alongable it, that isn't a massive criticism it's just that like i kind of i get that as a reference point because i think when he goes for the big power pop things that's why i'm saying there's sort of a little bit of a lack of like originality with it like it's not a criticism particularly of the album it's just that i've heard some of those things before like its originality comes from the fact that it's pulling from all these different places mm, like not yeah. particularly what he does with the actual thing when he pulls it i don't yeah i don't think it always matters i think if the particular you know like his voice the instruments he's chosen the different as you say the different influences he's pulled because I see quite a lot of parallels between this and Louis Cole. Not that they sound remotely alike, but I think it mm. is people basically saying, this is the music I like and this is my version of it. It's not yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not an album that's built in a um in a particular order. Like it it just it is kind of here's my next song and here's here's my next one. So I see quite a few parallels there. And of course I really like the Louis Cole album. And I I, I like this one a fair bit. I don't think it's super important to me that the individual melodies are like extremely interesting or, or original if the spin on them is enough and well, i think it's not, it's, certainly it's in not, the first half of the album that the, the spin is enough for me it's not super important in terms of the your enjoyment of the album it only is because we're trying to review it that like yeah i suppose when you're criticizing something well critiquing something the yeah yeah i just don't want to sort of give the impression that it's a he's taking obvious choices here because I very much think he isn't based on the notion that that was why it stuck out to me in the first place is that there was at least four or five points where things happened or changes were made that literally made people sit up, turn around and listen and be like, what the hell? Well, like, it's a, yeah, but that, that the, is a rarity. Um, all, all the changes for me are just like, this is a mad choice to go from that verse to this chorus. Like those are the moments, and once you've heard that the first time, you kind of know that it's happening. I don't feel like the uh, within sections of a song, I didn't find that happening. I don't. I don't think you should, though. I think that would derail them if it was just constantly like, okay, we've just done a really odd switch here, and then this section is going to be really strange as well. Become an avant-garde. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just. I don't think that was the intent. It's just that we've talked about it before where you say like, oh, that's a really, like every time that chord comes back around, you're like, that's such a like, interesting, yeah, interesting yeah. place for this song to go. It always catches your ear. And I didn't have those moments, I guess. Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I do in a couple of the tunes and certainly some of them are not that, but... Again, that's fine. It's not really what I'm looking for from it. And I do think there's, again, the the instrumentation and arrangements, I think, are really, really good. I'd almost like him to expand even further, but, you know, you have little bits of sax and trumpet and, like, ukulele and, like, world percussion and synths and... I particularly like the use of um, MIDI animal sounds in the first track. It's so good. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) and his 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 you know constant chorus of uh, backing vocals are fantastic as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, sorry, Will. No, you go. Okay, I was only going to say we haven't even talked about my probably my favourite song on the album, which has all of those things: has the huge backing vocals, has the like Tapau style sax solo. The second track on the album, Juradinos. Mm-hmm. Give that a crack, but I think that encapsulates like the the best stuff of this album. It is cheesy pop, but it's also it's enigmatic. It's like a huge song. 
it has the super like cheesy 80s sax at the end um, well that's the thing and that that is a song where i don't know that i could really pick out the the touch points he's drawing from i hear like a tiny bit of like bowie in that yeah maybe. a little bit um but you know, I do think he still has like a touch of uniqueness to him, to be honest, if if only for the mashing of the, the genre as well as still remaining very cohesive, which someone like Mr. Bungle or Mike Patton, I, I don't think they do. It sounds like prog, basically. And this album does not sound like prog, but it just sounds like quirky pop, which I think is is quite unique in itself to to manage to balance those two things. I think that second track sounds like a... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of them. That kind of, that real, like, pop guitar side of, like, Britpop. Uh, long Pigs, that's what I was trying to think of. Okay. Oh, in- interesting. I think that that's what that kind of reminds me of, which I... Uh, which I kind of dig as a sound. Mm. I was trying to find out a little bit that there's you, you can't find anything about this guy, which is kind of cool in a way. Um, <laughs> what, what I have, chapels. what I have found out is that he does the drums, which is kind of cool, and I think a lot of them are live as well, which I wasn't a hundred percent certain on, but. You know, having having been to that country as well, it's kind of mad to me that that record was was made there at all because it's such a kind of remote, like very smallly populated country. And I don't know, he presumably either is just like one of those kind of young geniuses who can just play a bunch of instruments, or more likely, he's just called upon all of the best people from that country to to come in and play on the album. I mean, you do get those pricks who are just fucking ludicrous multi-instrumentalists, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, maybe he is, but I can't imagine he's throwing out the sax solos and stuff. I think you're probably right. Like, you can totally imagine him being the sort of person that's gone to, like, music school or whatever, is a, like, Mm multi-instrumentalist and has then just pulled on all the, like, brilliant musicians that he went to school with and... Or, you know, something like that, like something within his sort of community where it's all the kind of best people of that community that he's like pulled together to record mm-hmm. stuff for him. It's just got like a very nice sound to it, though, I think, where it, it still manages to sound organic and natural, despite the fact a lot of the time it's very synth poppy. Um, it doesn't sound like a Pro Tools album to me. It doesn't sound like bedroom pop. It sounds like an album recorded in a proper studio with with people playing instruments a lot of the time, and I like that. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. so yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm. I don't know. Maybe it's that kind of because I discovered this this weird little thing. I'm trying to celebrate it more, but it is genuinely something which I think I will consistently go back to i could say it's it's easily in my top 50 albums um i don't think there's anything wrong with that man if it engages your emotions for any reason in any way even if that is due to things outside of the record i don't think that matters enjoy it while you've got it are we are we are we scoring we at that place yes yeah well um, I'll jump in. Hey, um, I'm going to give it a seven. Um, I enjoyed it a lot for what it was. It does. It just drops off for me at the end, apart from the final track. But I enjoy that kind of bouncing between genre. That keeps me interested. I've got a pretty short attention span at the, the best of times. Um, I like his voice. I kind of like his his style and his approach to the songs. And um, yeah. I don't think we really did like favorite songs all around, but I mentioned mine was Juradinos, the second track. Um, yeah, seven. Good, good stuff. Go on, Mark. Um, I mean, it's it's a nine or a ten, and I'll I'll give it a nine. It's peer pressure, browbeating you. <laughs> 
Well, the, the one thing I would say as well is that, you know, in the same way, and I'm not saying either of you haven't done your due diligence, I just think that if you, I think you may end up having the same thing as I have done. Because I think initially after the first couple of weeks of of listening to it, I'd have rated it, you know, a seven. It, it's gone constantly up. And I think in the same way, what was the... um that album will you've gone back to a few times since the um which one there's a, there's a few uh the oh um miracle musical yes yeah, yeah. we never actually did it for a podcast pick but no we we didn't but yeah but, um, similar similar vibes yeah i just think it's it doesn't at least for me it's it's always sort of grown it's it's really got re-listenability so i would be interested if you guys, you know, sporadically listen to it over the coming weeks slash months, whether whether there's any change. But yeah, I'll, I'll go nine. Sweet. Wrap us up, Andy. So after the first couple of listens, I think I was coming in at a five. Um, like that's an absolute... That's, yeah, that's an, outrageous. Yeah, an absolute berry. Like... It, it, it's so inoffensive that there's nothing that I like, I can't come in with like major criticisms of it, but it just didn't like gel for me. And, um, and then the last couple of listens, I've listened to it twice through today. Cause you know, I got home and had an hour before we started recording and that's enough to get through it twice. Yeah. That's um, crazy. And um, I'm going to come up to a seven. I'm going to come up to, I was between a six and a seven, but talking about it, I've decided. The thing is as well, like I, it's rare that I come back to albums from the podcast. You know, occasionally they've really, like I've really actively liked it, but ones that are sort of seven out of 10, I don't often come mm-hmm. back to because there's just other seven out of 10 albums that I'll find. And I, yeah. I don't put enough effort into see if it kind of grows. But because this one has grown late on me, probably only yesterday, I can I can sort of see myself going back to it and listening to it again. I, I, I don't know. Yesterday and today, I find it way more, the kind of fun element out of it. I never really got the first time. I really, I really digged. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to push it to a seven. Cool beans. Pretty good scores all around there, Marco. Yeah. No, I am happy enough with that. I'm happy that Andy's gone up because a five would have been ludicrous frankly might have just been the end um, of the podcast there you go it, it, might, have been, it might have been oh, I, yeah, I, I, I pissed you off planet your ties with low stars <laughs> that's true <laughs> i will do in the future what i would say is though that that kind of emphasizes my point already maybe yeah i don't i don't know like i don't i don't i don't know whether i've sort of i've found I found the kind of fun vibe to it. I don't know whether if I keep listening to it, I'm going to find anything more than that or whether it's just going to be, yeah, it's a fun pop album. Because really, if I if I was scoring it on just it being a kind of fun pop album that does little else for me, then probably, I was between a six and a seven. It should probably be a six, I think. But um, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Maybe I'll keep finding more to it and it will kind of grow more, but... The biggest strength is its re-listenability. It just it's got layers to it, I think, where I'm just repeating myself, but it it's it's so it's so dense in every track. There's so much sort of going on that it's uh it does, as I said, yeah. I, I can't separate it from those early mother mother ones where for whatever reason you you go back and you still get the same out of it. Mm. But look, we scored. We scored now, so your opinions have to rest forever. They're set in stone, and you can't change them or explain them any further now. And we can't ever talk about it again. So no. it, uh... <laughs> we can continue to listen to the album, but never shall we converse upon it. I mean, we don't. We don't. We don't talk. We do go to the pub together, but we uh, we sit in silence as not to yeah. ruin. We sit at future. the same table, but we all face outwards. Yeah, so not to ruin future <laughs> podcast material. <laughs> Yeah, we literally can't talk about anything. No. With that said, thank you for joining us at the Screen and Needle podcast. Next time, Andy's picks. So, 
yeah, for the album, I'm going to go with Masterpiece by uh, Big Thief, uh, which is an album I think I've listened to before, but if I have, I don't totally remember. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. I really like one track, and I, I definitely know a couple of others. I, I can't remember if I listened to the whole thing before, but it's been on a permanent, I should listen to this list for about two years, so let's listen to it. Quality. Uh, and for the film, I'm going to go with uh, The Day of the Jackal, uh, which is a film I watched when I was younger, and... Uh, I'm looking forward to watching it again. Sweet as a nut. Well, join us next time where we'll talk about that film and that album, and uh, we'll do it all again. Till then, bye bye. <laughs>